In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. Today, we have a potentially unprecedented episode on the Perspectrum. Yeah. We have got like seemingly all positive segments. Yeah. Somehow. So, like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, been, I, it's been a good week, I guess. <laughs> it has been a very good week. Yeah. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, before we get into the episode, we do need to make a little bit of a correction not because our information was wrong necessarily before but uh because new information has come out so a, couple, a few weeks ago we did a good actually um talking about uh how police in richmond seemed to have um f- like foiled a plot to commit a mass shooting on july 4th um recent reporting about that has like caused that to be way more called into question like the people uh that you know were were arrested for you know planning a mass shooting um have not been charged for anything related to a mass shooting they've been charged with like some kind of low-level gun possession uh crimes and the police have not actually put forward any evidence of like this being a potential mass shooting and the prosecutors didn't present any evidence of this being a mass shooting in fact there's like Basically, they be, they were like, "Ah, oh, we got a tipster. This was a ma- it was going to be a mass shooting," and then basically like never provided any other substantive evidence about it, and just arrested a couple of people um, associated with it. So, the reason like I wanted to put out, put that out there is not because we're like definitely wrong that they didn't stop a mass shooting or something, but mostly because it can't be a good actually if it isn't unambiguously good, and this is not necessarily unambiguously good news. Yeah. But otherwise, um, these are good. <laughs> yeah. So what are we going to talk about, Michael? Well, so we'll start off by talking about the PACT Act, um, which I'm like really excited to get through. Um, and then we're going to be talking about um, the new uh, Mansion kind of and Schumer deal, the Inflation Reduction Act. And then finally, we're going to be talking about how shame might just sometimes work in politics as a way to make sure people do good shit and stop doing bad shit. Yeah. 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 Speaking of bad shit, Michael, mm. what are the COVID numbers? Yeah. So that's probably the lowest point of our episode. Uh, For today. once. Yeah. Which, so isn't that great that the COVID numbers <laughs> are back to being the worst part of the episode? Except for the fact that they're not that bad. So a world Yay! where the COVID numbers are not <laughs> at an all-time high, but they're also not the but also the low point of the episode means the rest of the episode must be relatively good. Yeah. So, so far in the world, we've hit 586 million cases uh, with an average new daily case rate of 867,000 worldwide. Um, that's down 4% from 903,000 last week. In terms of death, we've hit 6.43 million worldwide deaths with average daily death rate at 2,109, um, which is up 19% uh, from last week, which was 1,765. And so far, 67% of the world's population has received 
at least a single uh, dose of the vaccine, which is up a tenth of a percent from 66.9% the week before. Um, one thing to call out about that number, like it's been pretty stubborn um, for like weeks, like the largest, the, the most it ever goes up is about a tenth of a percent a week. And, and largely that seems driven by like low income countries where we only have about a 19.9% inoculation rate. Um, so just to call out that like the path forward for worldwide immunization has to be investment in low income countries and spreading the vaccine there. In terms yeah. of the U S we've hit 93.6 million cases with an average daily new cases of 107,000, um, over the last week, uh, relative to the week before, we're up 8% from 99,000. Um, in terms of death, we've hit 1.057 million deaths with uh, daily deaths of 344 over the last seven days, which is up 26% from 274 the week before. Um, in terms of vaccination in the U.S., we've hit 78.7% with at least one dose, which is up two-tenths of a percent, and uh, we're at 67.2% with uh, that are fully vaccinated, which is about the same as last week. So not bad. You know, not bad. Yeah. Like, not great. Even though some of the percentage increases are pretty large, they're also like some of the lowest levels Yeah. It, since like the pandemic kind yeah. of hit full swing. So I think I'd say like our assessment continues to be, we're pretty much in this like, steady state COVID world where some weeks are increases and some weeks are decreases and it's not really going away, but it's not really getting terribly worse. Yeah. Well, and also deaths are definitely down quite a bit, which sure. can mostly be attributed to the fairly high vaccination rate at this point. Yeah. So absolutely. it is still something that you want to try to avoid getting. Yeah. But it's definitely not as dangerous as it used to be because of vaccination. Again, that yeah. does not mean that you should stop wearing masks and that you should yeah. start licking doorknobs. Yeah. Yeah. You should still take precautions. But the cool thing at this point is also like kids under five can get vaccinated. Yeah. Like pretty much every part of the population that wants to get vaccinated and doesn't have like a specific like allergy or like particular reason that they can't get vaccinated can, which is like at this point you can protect yourself as much as you ever could protect yourself, you know? Yeah. Speaking of protecting ourselves, well, people protecting themselves, let's talk about the PAC Act. Yes. Because <laughs> it doesn't or, really apply to myself or Michael. <laughs> to use its in first, like full, incredibly long name, the Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson Honoring Our Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxins Act, or the PACT Act. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so, just calling it the PAC Act was probably. <laughs> no, I think we should read out the move. whole name every time. <laughs> every time. So according to WhiteHouse.gov, the PAC Act is the most significant expansion of benefits and services for toxic exposed veterans in more than 30 years. Yeah. And it actually passed the Senate, yeah. which is a miracle. It passed with a bipartisan 86 for 11 against um and it passed the house back in in july yeah. so actual things are getting done and there's a lot to talk about with this particular act because mm -hmm. those numbers might make it sound like this was just a foregone conclusion 
Which but it was back in June. <laughs> it, which it was back in June, but then some shit got fucky. Yeah. And as it, as, yeah. so before we get into that, let's talk about why this is so important. So this yeah, is an absolutely. investment of $400 billion into veterans healthcare, specifically with the intention of addressing the, the diseases, the cancer, the health repercussions that many veterans have had as a result of being close to burn pits. Now, for those of you that don't know, close to a lot of the camps in uh, military bases overseas, they have these things called burn pits, where they basically dig these huge trenches in order to dispose of sewage, medical waste, and other trash during their service. Now, the issue is they... They set that stuff on fire, then the fumes spread around the camp, and yeah. it causes cancer and other illnesses later in life. Yeah. And this has resulted in many veterans dying of what should have been preventable diseases. Now, yeah. the important thing to recognize is that as it stands, most veterans, when they tried to get health care to to treat these conditions were not able to access their VA benefits because they weren't able to prove without a reasonable doubt that their cancer or their other health conditions were a direct result of the burn pits to which I would respond with who gives a fuck. They served yeah. our country. Give them their goddamn health care. Yeah. My, so, so yeah, two thoughts there. Like one burning shit, burning trash is a yeah. good way to get rid of the physical trash and a terrible way to dispose of waste. Just yeah. full stop. Why the hell are we like, like burning <laughs> toxic yeah. chemicals right next to our military bases? But, but secondly, to your point, Nathan, like when I read that, I had to read it a few times because I was like, wait, you're telling me that when people come back from being active service members, we can't even guarantee them universal health care. Yeah, like that. That actually just stunned me from the start. For this this should, but basically, this will stun you even more. All right. So according to according to an article on Vox, as it stands prior to the passage of this act, um, 70% of disability claims related to burn pit exposure were denied Yeah, mm. by the VA. Jeez. 70%. Which so, like, it makes sense if you're, if you're required to show that, like basically the qualifications for like getting a, uh, like healthcare under the VA are designed for people that like get shot or like yeah. blown up and they don't at all take into account the fact that when you're in a war zone, you're exposed to all kinds of harmful, toxic things. And that can take years to manifest in long-term illnesses. And yeah. so like, it's just, yeah, our policy was just never designed to care, to properly care for the long-term health yeah. of veterans because it has to be proved that your injury was were the result of your service. Yeah. Heath Robertson, the guy that this, that this act is named after he was in deployment in Iraq between 2006 and 2007. He didn't die until 2020. Yeah. As a result of, of lung cancer, which, which has been attributed to those burn pits. Yeah. One of the really important things that this particular law does is it removes the burden of proof from mm -hmm. veterans 
who are trying to make claims for, hey, I have cancer. I served overseas. Can I please get this paid for? Yeah. It removes that burden of proof so that the VA now has to just give them that funding, which is so big, so massive. And the fact that this went from being a rather obscure topic to being a major national conversation was the result of activists. It was the result of veterans groups. And also it was the result of John Stewart (laughs) 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 who, who used his platform to, to help bring this into the national light. Now, I mean, I would say, and, and John Stewart would even say that most of the credit should go towards the veterans groups and the activists. He's just somebody who happened to have a larger platform in order to, to bring those voices more to light. Um, but I mean, we should still give a certain amount of credit because one of the things that I often notice is a lot of late night comedians, Mm -hmm. they talk about things that are important, but in terms of actual activism, it's very rare that they actually are responsible or, or they're actively, Mm -hmm. um, yes, it's, it's, it's not good TV to talk about the same issue again and again and again, which is what activism requires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But John Stewart, I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen him try to get people um, healthcare benefits for uh, serving our country. He was he's been an activist for healthcare benefits for first responders at 9/11 mm-hmm. for yeah. like since 9/11. Um he this is something that was a really big deal to him. So we mentioned that this like expands access to healthcare services to, you know, people that have been exposed to these burn pits. But, you know, what does the act like actually kind of do? So it, it does a bunch of stuff. First of all, it um, extends the enrollment period available to um, to enter the VA after you've been discharged from five to 10 years. So basically, you know, for people that have these symptoms and issues that show up much later, they're able to, they have a longer period in which to enroll. It, it requires the VA to establish a process for evaluating and determining new presumptions of exposure uh, and, and service for chronic conditions related to military service. So what that means is like, you know, in the future, if there is another claim like this, maybe it's not burn pits, but maybe it's, you know, something in our un- in the uniforms or something like that that is getting people sick later on it requires the VA to have a process to evaluate cl- like claims that are hard to prove on an individual basis but can be proved in the aggregate when they start looking at all the claims involved and that's part of the things that's part of, part of the uh, work that was done to get this into the spotlight to begin with is actually isolating a trend like this of people exposed to burn pits and then later developing kind of these rare forms of long-term debilitated illnesses. Um, and so it, it, it defines like 23 specific diagnosable conditions, which are presumptively, uh, when, you know, when someone has them after, you know, being in these certain, uh, combat locations where they had burn pits, they are presumptively um, a result of their service and therefore are presumptively able to get benefits. And importantly, survivors, family members of veterans who died due to one of these conditions are also eligible for benefits as a result of this act. Um, 
It also requires that veterans enrolled in the VA have regular toxic exposure uh, related screenings and that the VA perform outreach to veterans uh, in order to screen for potential toxic exposure to help catch these um, diseases early on in their in their process. Um, and it delivers a infusion of resources to the VA um, to help enable them to fulfill the intention of this act and help them um, provide health care to our service members, including investing um, in facilities authorizing 31 new medical clinics and re and research facilities in 19 states. So just a vast investment in uh, the VA in order to help them actually perform their function, which has up until this point been like vastly underfunded um, and in, in many ways like, you know, under-resourced, but critically important program. So a bunch of really strong, really great provisions in this bill. Yeah. And the thing is, this exact bill had already passed in June in a vote of 84 to 14. Hmm. Now, they had to re-vote on it because there was like a minor administrative line that they needed to change. But other than that, the the current iteration of the bill is the exact same thing as the the iteration that had already passed in June. And yet, earlier in the week, uh, almost 25 Republicans seems to just randomly change their support of the vote of the of the bill. Hmm. And here is why, because there's kind of a lot of things that led up to this. All right. So it started out with what's called the CHIPS Act. So the CHIPS Act was a bipartisan bill that was intended to invest $52 billion into uh, chip manufacturing in the United States. So the, the production of semiconductors within the United States. So a lot of vehicles run on, on chips, a lot of, uh, a lot of technology within the United States runs on chips. Yeah. It's one of, it's actually a major driver of inflation. Cause it's one yeah. of, oh, it's like a big problem for our supply chain. Cause fucking microchips are in fucking everything. We're yeah. literally like, there are literally problems in like in, uh, for like banks issuing new plastic credit cards because they don't, they can't get the microchips that go on the credit cards. It's like crazy. Yeah. 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 At this point. So, so the United States used to produce 37% of the world's computer chips. Now it only, hmm. now it only produces 12%. Hmm. And so the idea is to make us competitive again. Um, and that is important during inflation. That is important considering the fact that we don't want to be as reliant on China yeah. um, in order to import stuff. In a lot of ways, this was intended to be a national security issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's critical for the security of our economy like we just talked through. But yeah, to your point, Nathan, like, you know, there were there were huge concerns about and 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 it's actually like pretty difficult to you know, do defense, um, defense manufacturing because it requires that they use U S made chips, but we don't fucking make any. Yeah. So it's like, you have to put, you know, if you're going to be guiding a, uh, a missile or whatever, you don't want the other side to be able to have a backdoor into your fucking missile guidance system, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Now, this has been criticized by some people. Like, it's it was criticized by Bernie Sanders, who uh, referred to it as basically a, a corporate giveaway. And is it a corporate giveaway? Kind of. Um, so <laughs> In that it gives away a lot to corporations. <laughs> yeah. But it gives it away in a sort of libertarian paternalism type of way. Sure. Where the idea is you're trying to provide certain financial incentives to focus on one specific area of production that the United States desperately needs. Yeah. And if you're against that on the on the lines of we should never be giving any money to corporations, I can respect that. But at the end sure. of the day, more I think more good will come of this than bad. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're not going to invoke like the Military Production Act in yeah. peacetime and non emergency time to like get companies to build a bunch of microchip manufacturing. Like yeah. that's the way we the way we do it in the United States is with incentives, not requirements, because we have a you know semi free market. Yeah. So it works. So this is a conversation about the PAC Act. So why the hell are we talking about the Chips Act? Well, the reason for that is that. Mitch McConnell actually worked with the Democrats on the CHIPS Act, and because of his support, they were able to get enough votes in order to clear the filibuster. They were able to get over 60 votes. Which is fucking remarkable. Can we just pause on that? That's fucking crazy in this incredibly partisan time to actually pass a bipartisan bill. I'm blown away that that has not gotten way more fucking coverage than it has. Yeah, yeah. Now, McConnell at the time was basically saying, I'll work with this under the condition that you stop trying to work on some reconciliation package so that you can pass the agenda that, you know, the American people voted you into office in order to pass. Um, so, so that's what he was saying basically the entire time. All right. Uh, I'm only working with you under the condition that you are not working on another reconciliation package. So... To, to remind you all, a reconciliation package is a type of um, is a type of bill that is going that is proposed to the Senate that specifically affects the budget, and therefore, because of weird Senate rules, it only needs fifty votes in order to yeah. pass, or fifty one votes, but yep. fifty votes if you have a vice president, um, in order to pass, rather than have to have to go through the filibuster now yeah. mitch mcconnell does not want any more reconciliation bills but here's the really based thing and you will almost never hear me give chuck schumer credit for being a badass <laughs> <laughs> but he kind of he kind of pulled a pretty badass move because literally hours after the chip act passed he and Joe Manchin announced a compromise for a reconciliation package to address climate change and the cost of health care. Yeah. <laughs> Which we're gonna be talking about in our second segment. Which is yeah, we're gonna do a deep we're gonna do a deep dive of what's in that package in our second segment. But yep. how fucking based is that? I know, that's so fucking cool. It's like it's like I learned a few things from fucking Mitch McConnell. <laughs> no, oh, that's man. exactly it. Like that is the type of shit that Mitch McConnell would pull. Exactly. Like and I have been saying for years that the Democrats need to start pulling some Mitch McConnell moves, that they need to start playing dirty politics. Mm -hmm. And God, it's so Lo and behold. It's so refreshing to see them actually do that. You know what's even more like surprising and refreshing in my mind? 
It's that Joe fucking Mansion was a part of it. Mr. Yeah. Bipartisan Mansion. Like, yeah, that's so funny. Like, I'm almost me. surprised that he didn't like behind the scenes go up to McConnell and say, "Hey, we're working on this." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he would totally do that. He would totally he, do that. He is he is the guy from 300 that shows the Persians the way yeah. to get around yeah. the, the wall of Thermopylae. <laughs> that's that's Joe Manchin, but he didn't do that this time. He did not do that. <laughs> yeah. So as a result, though. The Republicans decided to throw a hissy fit and yeah. and be like, well, then we're if you guys are going to pass reconciliation, then we're going to screw over our veterans because yeah. that that passes that yeah. uh, that really follows That's, that follows that. And it's a great look for Republicans too, especially going into midterms, which they're already falling in the polls. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a bold so, strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays <laughs> off for them. So it wasn't as bold as all that because they were they were trying to say that the reason that twenty five Republicans switched from yay votes to nay votes on a bill that literally provides health care to our veterans um, is is they claim that it had this like this uh, mechanism or a budgetary gimmick. Uh, with the intent of making it, you know, possible for Democrats to just hi- like hijack a bunch of this spending in in future years and use it on other stuff, yeah. and basically what they're talking about is um, the bill includes uh, funding for this, like funding under the act as a as a mandatory spending uh, within the budget, right? So it locks in that spending for the budget rather than having it. As, a, as an appropriation that Congress is able to review the funding for every single year. Yeah. Right? So, so basically in federal spending, there's usually two main types of spending, which is mandatory and discretionary. Mm-hmm. Mandatory spending is spending that is kind of set in place and can only be changed with some type of additional law. Yeah. Discretionary spending usually fluctuates more and they have to repass basically every year. Yeah. So this was under the mandatory spending category, which, which basically means yeah. that they won't have to fight for it every year. Exactly. It means it's not going to be a pawn yeah. uh, in various like funding negotiations and stuff, which it makes total sense for something like this to be mandatory yeah. rather than discretionary spending. Yeah. And But most transparently, which makes this even more hilarious, is that it's not like it changed. Yeah. It was it was mandatory spending in the June bill. Yeah. And it was mandatory spending in the August bill. And the only and and nothing changed between the two except for the fact that 25 fewer Republicans yeah. supported it. Yeah. So and also the flipping of the Republicans vote came hours after the announcement of the climate change deal. Yeah. <laughs> so it is so it is abundantly clear that this was an attempt to do some type of political retribution on the Democrats. Yep. And like, let's just take a minute to realize how fucked up of a human being do you have to be to do that, to throw veterans who are dying of cancer under the bus. And, and so I was watching this, uh, I, I was, I was watching Jon Stewart's podcast this morning, and mm. he was kind of talking about the behind the scenes of the advocacy that they were doing the day of the passage of the bill, because the Democrats actually let him and all of the other activists into the chamber to mm. watch the actual voting, the final vote that passed. And 
one of the things that he said that was just heartbreaking was when the Republicans had initially announced that they were withholding their support, two veterans that were that he had known that were associated with the groups, um, the, the activism groups, committed suicide. What the fuck? Like, two veterans took their own lives because of the fact that Republicans decided to withdraw their support hmm. from this. Two veterans lost their lives because of this stupid gimmick yeah. that the Republicans attempted to do here. Playing so, games with the lives of like 3.5 million affected veterans by this. You know, yeah, because, I mean, the fight doesn't end with the passage of this bill. This just means that they have a fighting chance because they have the funding in order to pay for their health care. Yeah, exactly. This but, is just, yeah, this is literally the least we could do to help veterans that that have been poisoned as a result of their service. Yeah, and what happened after the Republicans had initially changed their vote to be against it, John Stewart and various veterans groups made this national campaign. Like, John Stewart did this national tour where he went on various different news networks, including uh, Newsmax. Holy he went crap. on Newsmax. He <laughs> oh, went on man. Fox News. I think he also mentioned going on to OAN. No way. I can't believe um, they let him in there. Did I feel like I feel like he would just like like burst into just like a pile of ashes as soon as he walks <laughs> well, in. Well, what's interesting, door. he was he was talking about Newsmax and he was basically like they actually listened to me and they actually seemed to you know like, <laughs> like I'll, he was talking about how other national news networks that he went on, they were care they were like, "Oh, how is this going to affect midterms?" But like for some reason, but like Newsmax was actually mm. focused on what he was saying, which is interesting. Saying? Yeah, wow. Um, but but the point is, this is something that is not going to look good to Republican voters. So it makes yeah. total sense to be going on to the networks where all the Republicans are. Because what needed to happen was there needed to be national outrage. There needed to be Republicans flooding the office of these senators saying, what the actual fuck yeah. are you doing? And that is exactly what happened. This did not look good for the Republicans. It was a complete embarrassment. And almost overnight, they just flipped their votes. Didn't explain why they flipped their votes back. They flipped their mm -hmm. votes back. And by the way, another thing that was sort of a behind-the-scenes thing. So the senator that led the opposition on this was Senator Pat Toomey, who is the senator from Pennsylvania who's going to be retiring and when he walked into the room for the final vote, like John, uh, I was listening to the John Stewart talk about it. When he walked into the room for the final vote, other Republicans in the room just like turned their backs to him. Oh my God. Because they were pissed. They were like, he, you yeah. told us to do this and we got <laughs> fucked. We got totally screwed over. We got over. totally screwed over because of what you told us to do. They turned their backs on him That's as awesome. he walked into the room. That there was awesome. this, he explained, he described this palpable energy of just like dismay at him of just disgust at him by his own republican colleagues amazing that's exactly what we need that's exactly what we need so and we'll get this that right here, we'll get to that in our third segment <laughs> yes <laughs> yes but this is like this is unequivocally just a good thing and the thing is this is just a case of that type of shame just flat out working mm -hmm. um, because they actually like they actually tried to ask McConnell why there was ultimately a change 
Um, and he didn't have any substantive reasons. You know what he mm. said? He said, quote, these things happen all the time in the legislative process. Jesus. I think in the end, the veteran services organizations are going to be pleased with the final result. Oh my God. That's all he had to say. <laughs> that, is so, that is so transparent. That's remarkable. Like wow. it was so, it was a complete leg, legislative gimmick where they tried to throw veterans under the bus in order to spite Democrats. It led to this national outrage campaign of, of various people, grassroots people, Flooding the phone lines of these Republicans, media organizations condemning these Republicans, and it worked. And the final vote was just as decisive as the one in June. And that cannot that I mean, that's this is just good news. All right. One one thing that I think is notable, though. Uh, so I, I looked at the names of the people that ended up voting against it, and there were a few notable ones. Um, there is there is Rand Paul, which that doesn't surprise me. He votes against everything that helps anybody. <laughs> um, Tom Tillis, which that was actually surprising to me hmm. because he's up for re-election yeah. in a state that is, I wouldn't say it's, it's purple, but it's has been trending purple, and it's sure. considered to be a competitive race that he has. Like, it's fucking veterans. He has an <laughs> like, edge over, but like yeah. you know, um, Pat Toomey, which doesn't surprise me. He was the asshole mm. that started this. But most interestingly, Mitt Romney voted against it. Really? Yeah, Mitt Romney. And why? the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I want to go ahead and emphasize once again, he is not a moderate. Yeah. Don't think of him as a moderate. He just happens to be a Republican who's anti-treason. Yeah. <laughs> that, that does not <laughs> Which make is him not a moderate, a moderate. position. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it should not be considered yeah. a moderate position. But at the end of the day, grassroots organizers fought, organizations fought, veterans fought, and they were able to get this included into mandatory spending, which means that it cannot just be pulled out from under them and... I really wish the best of all the veterans that are now going to be receiving the health care that they need. And I really hope that that's going to be enough to keep them alive. And now it's time for an even more lighthearted segment. <laughs> uh, good, actually. So, Nathan, why do we do good, actually? Well, we normally do good, actually, because the world sucks. Yeah. But I actually yeah. feel kind of good about the world right now. Sure. It doesn't suck today. Like, it, it doesn't <laughs> suck that much today. But anyways. But this story shines <laughs> even brighter relative story, to the rest of today. This story does shine even, does shine even brighter. Um, so, Nathan, what is our good actually today? Our good actually today is that abortion won in Kansas. Hell fucking yeah. Hell yeah. So, there was a referendum to amend the Kansas state constitution to remove the right of abortion. And it failed. It failed miserably. Hmm. The final vote count was 58.8% to 41.2%. Oh my gosh. It had an overwhelming majority and the margin was almost 20 points. So that is so fucking cool. To put that into perspective... 
Donald Trump won the state of Kansas by 56.1%. Abortion got more votes than Donald Trump. That's so awesome. Like, like what, what makes me so excited about that is like, that's what the polls say. Yeah. Like the polls say that the American people believe that people should be able to get abortions and absent like some of the crazy fuckery in the Republic side <laughs> of our democratic Republic that sets that has, that has made us just very unlucky in terms of who's been able to pick um, like Supreme court justices and totally fucked us over that way. Like it's awesome to see that in this case, true democracy actually fucking worked. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is one of the things that I've been saying for a while, a lot of, Policies that are considered democratic policies are overwhelmingly popular, even in heavily Republican areas. Yeah. And, you know, even in a state like Kansas, which is a red state, it is a overwhelmingly red state. Yeah, 56% Trump, that's very red. That is a red state. <laughs> um, but even in a state like Kansas, it can get almost 60% support. And this is why Democrats need to put all of their focus on running on policies rather than running on party running on like, Hey, keep the Senate blue or keep the house blue. It should be about keep abortion safe and legal. Mm -hmm. And can in Kansas voters going out to the polls, they protected that. Yeah. And it is really nice to see. And I'd say it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good sign for the midterms and it is definitely a good sign for women's health care within kansas yeah so let's go out there and amend all our state constitutions <laughs> <laughs> and that's good actually so for our second segment we're moving on to other good news yeah so last week joe manchin and chuck schumer as we teased in our first episode pulled a fast one and unveiled a pretty dope reconciliation package yeah. called the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and it includes like mostly climate spending, like $370 billion in energy and climate spending, a $300 billion deficit reduction, uh, which is like actually pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Um, three years of subsidies for the for Affordable Care Act premiums. It includes prescription drug reform and significant tax changes. Um, and uh, because it was worked out by, with like Joe Manchin as part of the process, it actually might fucking pass. Yeah. Now, I do just want to point out that, like, and I don't want to rain on people's parade because this yeah. is going to be. The this I, I want to make this primarily a positive segment, but let's also not forget that the original reconciliation package that Bernie wanted was like seven trillion. Yep. The one that Democrats decided on was three point seven trillion. Yep. The ones that they tried to compromise, the one that they tried to compromise on with Joe Manchin was one point seven five trillion. The one that Joe Manchin asked for was one trillion. After he just like then turned against it. And the final count on this one, um, in terms of how much they're actually going to be spending, is um, is about four hundred billion. Yeah. 
So yeah. this is a compromise of the 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 compromise. However, yes. it's only good news because we thought we were going to get fucking nothing. Yeah. And the Democrats would look even less effective as we head into the midterms. Yeah. But all of that being said, the one thing that I said when the original reconciliation package was originally going through was basically that the most important part of this legislation that needs to be salvaged is climate change. Yeah. And that's the primary thing that they focused on. Yeah. And on top of that, the climate change and the fighting inflation are intertwined into this piece of legislation for in various ways, which Mm -hmm. we'll get into the specifics a little bit later, but it is so important for a bill to be laser focused on trying to address inflation because inflation is out of control. And the fact that they're doing that and doing a major investment into climate change is nothing short of miraculous. It's fucking badass. It's badass as shit. This legislation slaps, man. It's like actually pretty fucking exciting. Like I'm over the past, you know, 15 years, (laughs) I've been like really used to like, stuff getting watered down and watered down and watered down and like that happened in this case relative yeah, to like absolutely. what we wanted the build back better even all that stuff but like it's pre- like if this ends up passing and we can talk through that likelihood in a little bit if this isn't passing it's going to look really good it's going to make democrats look effective it's going to actually be progress against two significant policy priority priorities and it includes both the near term and the long term view of like the american future like yeah it's this is good shit yeah and we'll get into the specifics of each provision in just a second but an overall number that made me very hopeful for the future is this particular bill is expected to reduce u.s uh, emissions by 40 percent by 2030 which i mean Obviously, we you know we want to try to make that as as high as possible. Ultimately, yeah. we would like to have a net zero carbon emission, but forty mm-hmm. percent um, by two thousand thirty, I'll take it. I yeah. mean, yeah, that compared is to what it looked like good. literally last week, it looked like we would be making no additional progress by twenty thirty. Yeah, um, and it, yeah, to your point, it's like the stated goal is to cut. Uh, pollution in half within the decade relative to 2005 levels and we are not there yet so according to uh, an an economic modeling group called rhodium group they estimate that without any additional act by congress or the president by 2030 somewhere between we'd be somewhere between 24 percent and 35 percent uh, less emissions than in 2005, which was our peak year for carbon emissions. Um, so that's like not nearly there, but this bill would add, you know, another 40% to that, yeah. which is actually like, that's really exciting. And again, like it would be by 2030, which is not really meeting our goal of within the decade, which is like pretty important because every single fucking second, we are not addressing climate change. We are inching, ever closer to climate disaster and we're literally experiencing that every single day and people around the globe are experiencing that all the time yeah but 
that's the thing. Like, Rome wasn't built in a day, nor was it destroyed in a day. Like, every step that we take in the right direction is a step worth celebrating. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how this is paid for, because it actually, this particular bill produces more revenue than it uses, which is pretty, which unheard of well it's unheard of (laughs) but it also makes it a much easier sell like it's really like republicans are going to be opposed to it because they're pissed off at democrats Mm -hmm. but if they try to say this is out of control spending motherfuckers this reduces the deficit yeah you cannot make that argument like the only arguments that republicans are going to be able to make are either ones that are just going to be so easily wrapped laughed out of the room or just ones that are going to be blatantly partisan yeah. Um, and it doesn't even officially raise any taxes. It just closes loopholes. Now, I would love a bill that raises taxes on rich people, but this manages to mainly get money from rich people, from yeah. the, the top 1%, without even raising any taxes. So yeah. the way that you... So this package is estimated to, uh, to raise uh, 7 hundred and thirty nine billion dollars and the way it's going to do that is there's going to be the biggest chunk of it is going to be three hundred and thirteen billion dollars through a 15 percent corporate minimum tax rate now let's let's talk about minimum tax rate corporate (laughs) minimum tax rate this is so exciting (laughs) yeah so let's talk about what that means so as it stands the corporate tax rate in the united states is 21 percent all right um, it was reduced from 35% from the Trump tax from the Trump uh, tax cuts. Um, and what the 15% minimum tax rate means is that there are many ways in which corporations can um, can reduce their tax burden through yeah. various different tax breaks, mm-hmm. uh, charities, uh, investing back into their businesses, just yeah. just various things. And, and they that, can they can use like they they actually gain as an asset any year that they lose money, yeah. Uh, because so they get that tax. It's called a tax liability as an asset that they can use against their future taxes that they might have to pay in the future at some point. Yeah. So and there's lots fair, of ways that they can reduce their effective tax rate. Yeah. And also to be clear, this particular thing only applies to companies that make over one billion dollars a year. So like we're not talking about yeah. small businesses. We're when Republicans about, come through and be like, "Oh, this is going to hurt small businesses," it's just not. Nope. It's just you're just wrong. It's it, yeah. that that's that's a lie. So that's three hundred and thirteen billion dollars raised from that alone, from just that minimum tax rate, which is just closing loopholes. It's closing opportunities for corporations to be able to not pay their fair share. I was I was reading some stuff that Manchin was saying. Mm-hmm. in defense of it and i was like dude you sound like bernie right now what the I fuck i know i know I, as i was going through this bill i had this thought it was because it was like because it was like you know somehow mansion whose big problem with the build back better plan was that it was good he was like spooked by inflation he was like oh this is gonna cause a bunch of inflation because it's a bunch of spending and like and like with the tax rate and everything i was like whatever Whichever Econ 101 professor finally got through to Mansion, that person deserves a fucking Nobel Prize. Like, these are, like, <laughs> not that hard conceptually to, like, understand that, you know, 10, like, billions of dollars spending over 10 years in new infrastructure and new, new capacity and energy and all this stuff is not going to drive up inflation significantly. Like, 
it's like not that hard to understand that. But whoever got through, I'm so happy, so happy, yeah. so proud. This is great. Yeah. Uh, another thing, and this is huge. Um, they're expected to save two hundred and eighty-eight billion dollars through prescription drug pricing reform. So this isn't even a tax. This is just saving money that is currently being paid out to Medicare um, simply by negotiating drug prices, which is something that we've been talking about since for fucking ever. And and honestly, fucking Trump talked about it. This is Trump like, talked this about is it. as bipartisan. Trump talked about this it. might be more bipartisan than fucking like like taking care of veterans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it also caps out of pocket costs to $2,000 for Medicare, which is also, which is also big. Um, also, uh, $124 billion through IRS enforcement of mm-hmm. a reform tax code. So, so basically here's what that means. One of the things that the Trump tax code did, the Trump tax bill did was it reduced funding to the IRS and the reason why they did that is because the less funding that the IRS has, the less ability they have to go after rich people mm-hmm. who try to evade taxes, who try to cheat on their taxes, because it costs money in legal fees to try to go after rich people because they have enough money in order to try to pay uh, lawyers and pay accountants mm-hmm. in order to try to fight against it. Yeah. All right. Which actually meant that more people after the Trump's t- Trump tax bill, more people that were lower income were getting audited by the IRS than rich people because mm-hmm. it was more worth going out after poor people than rich people because they didn't have the resources to go after rich people. Yep. But because this provides more funding to the IRS, it ends up producing more revenue Mm. because the irs has a better ability to go after those people that are attempting to dodge the tax code i just had a fucking inspired idea to be clear this idea is not in this bill this is this is my idea anytime a, a congress tries to reduce funding for the irs or lower taxes that's okay they can do it but it does trigger an automatic audit of everybody in Congress. <laughs> they all have to yes, have their taxes yes, audited totally. before they can defund the IRS. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, and then another thing, which it looks like this is going to be taken out of the, the final provision, uh, the final bill, um, but it's expected to raise $14 billion through closing the carried interest loophole. Mm. So the carried interest loophole is basically this loophole that allows for hedge fund managers to have their salaries taxed at capital gains rate rather than the normal income tax rate, which would be about 37%. And guess who's fucking against that? Hmm. Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. So so basically, um it Chuck Schumer has made it clear that it looks like Kirsten Cinema is ultimately going to support it. Mm-hmm. But according to sources behind the scenes, there are two provisions that she wants either changed or added to this. Uh, one of them is taking that out because apparently she loves hedge fund managers. Again, pure corruption. Like that's yeah. just, that's just corruption. All right. The fact that that loophole exists is complete bullshit and has allowed yeah. hedge fund managers Seriously. to make billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that she wants put in there is an extra $5 billion to fight against droughts in Arizona. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. 
give it to her. Great. I mean, like the, <laughs> that sounds good for Arizonans. If it's good yeah. for the people, I'm for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and it wasn't, I don't, and it might not have even just been Arizona. I think it was actually just like a broad fighting droughts within within the West, within the, mm. the, the Western area, mm. um, which, yeah, I'm totally great. fine with that. Like, that's great. You know, get that, get that for your people. Like that's, that, that makes total sense. What if we gave, what if we double that $10 million yeah, double, and we keep in the carried interest loophole? Call it a day. <laughs> that would be, that would be awesome. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, but other than the, other than those two things, it looks like Kirsten Cinema is going to be on board. That would and be... if Kirsten Cinema's is on board, then this passes the Senate and it's, I mean, there are some like more conservative Democrats in the House, but I think the House is going to be a lot easier. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the House passed the Build Back Better, and that was yeah, like way more progressive and much bigger spending package than this one. Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't see this having a lot of problems in the House. I my fingers are really crossed about cinema, though. Like, yeah. I really hope that the power doesn't go to her head. <laughs> that yeah. like she's finally the only one in the in the hot seat and is able to. Yeah, actually get her to vote for it. Yeah. So let's let's talk about what actually is in the bill, like what it's spending money on, because that's how it's raising money. Um, so first off, we have uh, sixty four billion dollars that will go to expanding the Affordable Care Act. Michael talked about that um, for a little bit. Uh, that's going to be expanding the program up through uh, two thousand twenty five, which will reduce premiums, which will reduce the uh, the burden on people that are that are currently uh, on the Affordable Care Act, um, which is just good. That's just like, I mean, no caveats. That's great. That's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but on top of that, so let's go through some of the individual provisions, because one of the things that we need to understand about inflation is that inflation is being caused by supply chain issues primarily. And a lot of that comes as a result of the pandemic. Now, mm. what that means is that the supply chain issues has been disrupted by the pandemic in that transportation mm -hmm. of goods and services has been heavily impacted. So what that means is that you have bottlenecking at ports of entry, meaning that you might have a lot of goods that are just kind of at um, at coastal ports that they don't have enough cars and trucks to transport around the country, um, especially considering the fact that uh, some of those imports are, are gas and diesel, which then drives the price of of um of gas and diesel which then further increases inflation because who's driving all of those goods and services around it's the trucks yeah. that run on diesel so mm -hmm. the price of diesel goes up the price of everything goes up all right so it's just this whole positive feedback loop so what that means and one of the things i love about this particular act is that it understands that in order to address the solution, you have to address the problem. Mm -hmm. And the pro if the problem is the lack of transportation, the cost of that transportation, the solution is to focus on that transportation. And in this case, what this specifically tries to do is focus on that transportation in ways that are green and cost effective. And also, um, and also try to limit... Uh, other areas that are being impacted by inflation, such as energy needs. So um, 
here are some of the provisions that it has. So in terms of lowering consumer costs, there's $9 billion in consumer home energy rebate programs, um, 10 years of consumer tax credits to make home energy effective and to run on clean energy. Um, this, this, is, this next one I love because it could make it easier for people to buy electric cars. There's mm -hmm. a $4,000 tax credit for used clean vehicles and $7,500 tax credit to buy new clean vehicles. Hell yeah. So that is an electric car. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if that passes, I might seriously consider it. I, mm -hmm. I needed, I know my, my car is kind of on its last leg at this point. It has like 280,000 <laughs> oh, wow. miles. Your car is old enough to run on legs, huh? That is old. My, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my car is an 05 Prius and it has 280,000 miles on it. <laughs> Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, $1 billion to grant programs to make affordable housing more energy efficient. Mm -hmm. um so stuff so stuff in those provisions we're talking about um helping to create solar panels on houses we're talking about revitalizing the grid um there's an estimated 30 billion dollar investment to tax credits to accelerate u.s manufacturing of solar panels wind turbines batteries and critical resource processing um 10 billion a 10 billion dollar tax credit uh, investment to build technology manufacturing facilities. So these would be facilities that produce things like electric cars, wind turbines, and uh, solar panels. By the way, all of the all of the stuff I'm reading from these provisions, this is coming directly from Senate.gov. Mm -hmm. um, so you can you you can you can look this up. Um, like, don't just take my word for it. You can you can find all these provisions on the site. Five hundred million dollars in the Defense Production Act for heat pumps and uh, uh, mineral processing. Um, Two billion dollars in grants to retool existing automobile manufacturing facilities to make it easier for them to actually produce clean vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, up to two billion dollars in loans to build new vehicle manufacturing facilities, and. Uh, $2 billion for national labs to accelerate breakthroughs in energy research. So basically making what we have better than it already is. Um, in terms of trying to decarbonize the economy, uh, $30 billion in, targeted, in a targeted grant and loan program for states and electric uh, utilities to accelerate the transition to energy, to, to clean electricity. That's what I talked about when I was talking about revitalizing the grid. Mm -hmm. um, tax credits for clean fuels and clean commercial vehicles to reduce emissions in all parts of the transportation sector. So basically commercial vehicles, vehicles that are being used by corporations uh, in order to specifically make money. So tax credits for the use of clean vehicles for businesses. Um, $6 billion in uh, advanced industrial facility development programs. Um, $9 billion for federal procurement of American-made clean technologies, which would also include a $3 billion, uh, $3 billion for the U.S. Postal Service to purchase net zero vehicles. That's awesome. $27 billion in a clean energy technology accelerator, which would support the development of technologies to reduce emissions, specifically in disadvantaged communities, a methane emissions reduction program to re reduce leaks from the production and distribution of natural gas, um, in terms of investment in communities and environmental justice, 
$3 billion in environmental climate justice block grants. Um, three, $3 billion, did I say $300 billion? $3 billion in uh, neighborhood access and equity grants. $3 billion in grants to reduce pollution at ports. $1 billion for clean, heavy-duty vehicles. So that would be like your, your, your school buses, your transit buses, your garbage trucks, and programs that would focus on technology accelerator home energy rebate programs. So um, being able to get rebates for running your house on clean energy. And then also, this one I really like, because this is one that is often ignored, which is farming. So farms do produce a massive amount of global emissions, partially because a lot of the ways in which farming is done. So for example, feeding cows corn produces a lot of methane from the farts, which, yep. I mean, that sounds funny, but that's that's what happens. Yeah, and um, methane is 86 times more harmful than yeah. CO2. <laughs> yeah, so honestly, just like, I, I, I don't know if this bill specifically does that, but if we were mainly feeding cows grass and not corn, that would actually have a significant impact on carbon emissions. Um, so anyway, so this would be $20 billion in support of climate-smart um, agricultural practices, $5 billion in grants to healthy, fire-resistant forest conservation and urban tree planting, um, tax credits to build the infrastructure needed for sustainable aviation fuel and other biofuels. And finally, $2.6 billion to conserve and restore coastal habitats. There's a lot of shit in this. Fucking badass. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And, and like I said, the estimation at this point is that if this was implemented in its current form, it could reduce carbon emissions by 40% by 2030. This would be yeah. the biggest investment in green energy in America's history. And it fights inflation because mm -hmm. it targets, number one, the energy sector, but number two, the transportation sector. And if we're able to use clean energy, that does, that does a few things. Number one, clean energy is more affordable once you have built infrastructure to support it. And number two, clean energy is something that we don't have to rely on the natural resources of other countries primarily in order to use, which means yeah. we don't have to be dependent on like overseas authoritarian governments like Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. in order to get our oil and our natural gas. So it would make us more independent it would reduce inflation because it would reduce the transportation financial burden that comes from from transporting goods all across the country, and it fights climate change. In my opinion, however, there is one really significantly negative thing that has so far come out um, as part of this process. Yeah. And that is while describing the negotiations with Chuck Schumer, Manchin, an old white senator from West Virginia described it like this. It's like two brothers from different mothers, I guess. <laughs> Which is just 100% cringe. That is, that is, that is like, that is like your grandmother walking in to your high school 
and being like, hey, I know what the kid's like. I'm totally on fleek. Yeah, yeah. My name's Grandma, and I like to say I use my walker every single day. (laughs) (laughs) So good news all around if this does pass. Now, I will say I will sing the praises to the high heavens of Chuck Schumer if this does pass. I'm going to save... I am gonna gonna save that credit until it does pass, until it's mm-hmm. actually signed by yeah. Joe Biden. Um, but as it stands, it's looking like this has a real chance of passing. It would be significant, and honestly, this is this is something that the country desperately needs, and it's something that the Democratic Party desperately needs. The fact that there's there are things that they've actually done, that they're actually doing, concrete things that they're doing that will have a measurable impact on people's lives. This is how you get people to vote. Yeah. All right. You do things, you become activists. And I got to tell you, if this does pass, I, I don't think that the house of representatives is as much of a foregone conclusion as it was. You convinced me, Nathan, I'm going to (laughs) vote. And now, we are minting a new segment this week. Oh, yet another piece of good news for you people. This <laughs> week we will be starting off a, a a miscellaneous what the fuck or a an MWTF, which basically is we see news stories, we see like people that are just weird and fucked <laughs> up and not cool and but they don't really fall into like the genre of like an asshat. You know, they don't really qualify as making arguments so self-defeating that you live up to the the exem- example of uh, Alan Dershowitz. But we do want to talk about them and make fun of them on the show. And so we have this new segment, which will be recurring, an MWTF segment. So, yeah. So, Michael, what is our very first MWTF segment about? So... I was traveling back from New York this past week, weekend, um, and paused in one of New Jersey's excellent highway uh, rest areas uh, to get an impossible Whopper. And I was waiting in line, and in front of me, I see this fellow wearing a a T-shirt, and I see the back of the T-shirt, and vertically, it spells no ma'am. And then each one of those letters has a word associated with it, starting with that letter. And as I read it, uh, the words the words read out: "National Organization of Men Against Amazonian Masterhood." And I re- as I read that, I was like, "That's that's got to be ironic, right? That's got to be that's got to be a joke." We're talking about a men's organization against Amazons. Is that is that I mean people from the Amazon, or is that really? Are we talking about? Amazons. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Amazons went extinct like three thousand years ago or something. <laughs> like, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know the total timeline. Like, and and then masterhood. Like, to me, as soon as you read it, you're like, this has got to be a fucking joke. Yeah. But also, I it also, up. if it's if it's specifically targeting women, I don't understand why it's not mistresshood. Yes. Like, why would it oh be? Oh my ma- gosh. Why yes. would it be masterhood? That just also, doesn't make any sense. Masterhood, 
I don't think is a word. I think that's just like, because master is like not that part of speech. Anyway, it's like, but you read it and you're just like, this has got to be a joke. And no, it is a real anti-feminist organization. So this fellow had the audacity to wear this fucking anti-feminist, like grammatically ridiculous, stupid fucking shirt out in public like a fucking dumbass. So he is part, he is, he is step one of our MWTF segment, this fellow. <laughs> so Nathan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a minute to do something with you. Okay. I want you to picture in your mind's eye what this fellow looked like. Okay. Well, he was wearing a baseball cap. He was. Um, yep. He probably had a full beard. He did. Yes. He probably yes, he had did. a full beard. Yeah. Um, his his hair was probably like a little bit disheveled. It was kind of sw- very sweaty. Yes. Um, his hair color was probably either like it was either uh, brown or potentially red. Oh, uh, it was like a dark brown. Yeah. It was a dark brown. Okay. Yep. Yep. So yeah. So brown. Um, and he <laughs> was he was he was probably. You know, not to body shame, but he was probably a little bit plump. Sure, sure. But you could have gotten that from the impossible, from the from the Burger King thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, oh, and I and I assume he was white. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, he certainly was. Yep, wearing basketball shorts, wearing flip flops, super. Oh yeah, I forgot to say basketball. Super sweaty. Yeah. A uh, a uh, barbed wire tattoo around his bicep. i don't know if i would have guessed that but (laughs) so i can see i can see i know who this person is i'm seeing him right now nathan and i did not talk about this beforehand and so you can tell just like how what a trope this is which is so fucking funny so that's our mwtf number one mwtf number two is he was with a woman, a female <laughs> human woman who was standing next to this person, voluntarily interacting with him, seemingly like his partner or something, which blows my mind. Yeah. Like, like if you're on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's one thing to be anti-feminist, but to actually think that Amazons control the fucking <laughs> country and right. that they're trying to, ins- I guess, enslave I men. Right. It's a, just a, stupid. A like, fucking I mean, men's organization. Like, like, there, there, are oh plenty no. of, there are plenty of anti-feminists who are wrong. But, like, to think that there is an actual, like, to think that there is an actual uh, Amazonian conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's amazing. So that is our very first MWTF. And so for our last segment, we are kind of tying together, you know, our first two segments in a little bit of a bow. There's a little bit of a theme on this one. And that is we're talking about the role that shame can play uh, in our advocacy, in our legislative process, in our politics, Um, which is kind of weird to say. Like, shame is a negative thing. Stigma is like a negative thing. Like, yeah, generally speaking, you don't want to be shaming people. Yeah. And as we know from game of Thrones, if you shame someone too much, they might blow up a church in the middle of the city. (laughs) 
That's true. And kill a ton of people. That is that is true. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a kind of unintended consequence. I didn't. That's a deep cut. Also deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, it's really interesting. So first of all, what incited this segment was that it seems like, specifically talking about the Pact Act, like we had 25 senators that were totally willing to just bite the political bullet to spite the Democrats and their minds were changed back seemingly because of public shaming. Yeah. And like, and I think that's really interesting because it's like, you know, um, you wonder about that as an effective tool because, um, you know, like source, like shame can be a few different sources. Like, you know, you and I might experience like individual, yeah, like the emotion of like shame or embarrassment or something. But like then there's also like our somehow like collective sense of like shame being something that we bestow on someone when they've earned it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have been, you have shamed yourself or whatever. And so like, and that is something that can have real political consequences. So you could like, maybe these people all had consciences, right? Maybe it was like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, maybe we actually need to help the, help the Democrats. Like this was shitty of me, you know, all that stuff, which is what they were trying to do to Pat Toomey when they turned their backs on him. Like, fuck yeah. you, you were shitty. <laughs> um, and but you, you that public us. backlash is like when all of us go, no, this was a fucking shameful act. Yeah. It's really about convincing the American people that something that someone else did is worthy of their social retribution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of all of that, I think that when it comes to public officials, especially public officials that rely on the approval of the general public in order for them to maintain their own position. So like celebrities and of course, politicians. Yeah. It becomes even more of an effective tool when there is almost universal condemnation. So, yeah. you know, Michael was talking about the PAC act, but let's also talk about the, the deal between Schumer and, yeah. and mansion, the, yeah. the inflation act. I mean, mansion has been in the crosshairs of not just like progressive Democrats, but mm -hmm. like all Democrats. Yeah. He's been in the crosshairs constantly in terms of earning the public's ire and hatred at all of the things he's done in terms mm -hmm. of blocking. And it actually seems like just a few weeks ago, he was again blocking another Democratic proposal in yeah. order to address climate change, claiming that inflation was the main reason behind it. Now, in order to save face, his argument is going to be, well, that one didn't fight inflation, but this doesn't fight inflation. Yeah. This, but this one does fight inflation. And that's what I really care about. Like, that's what he's going to say. But at the end of the day, the lesson that you should learn from this is the fact that the constant shaming of Joe Manchin yeah. is ultimately what brought him to this. Now, yeah. you might have you noticed at the end of, the, of the, the last segment, I didn't say... If this passes, I'm going to give Joe Manchin credit. I mean, mm -hmm. I said I would give Chuck Schumer credit because yeah. it's increasingly clear to me that this was a position that Joe Manchin, despite the fact that he helped create the actual bill itself, this was a position that he had to be dragged to. He had yeah. to be bullied. He was forced to into it, doing. Yeah. He, he yeah. yeah, he had to be forced to do it. This isn't yeah. something that he did because it was you know, out of the kindness of his heart. Yeah, I mean, and there's yeah, there, I think I think that's a great point. There's fucking evidence that the thing that we've been saying, which is like fucking put as much pressure as possible on Joe Manchin 
actually worked and that it was like not necessarily political preservation. It might have been some kind of conscience, maybe. Because like he's not up for re-election this year. He's got yeah. he would have plenty of time to try to like preserve his political position. Yeah. Um but like and 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 so so you might say like well if he changed his mind maybe it's something in the bill but the thing is like the bill except for being a little bit smaller is very very similar to the climate bill that the house passed like earlier on and includes many pre- pre- provisions that are very similar to the build back better plan on just like kind of a slightly smaller scale and so it's like and and many of the specific positions that mansion had previously come out against are in this in this bill. And so um, when it's not the facts that changed and it's not like political expediency, you wonder about how much of it was just his colleagues, his peers, like the people in or, or like in the Democratic Party all kind of going like just, you know, quit it. Stop being such a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, then comes the second question, which is, in a general sense, when it comes to average everyday people in terms of trying to move the court of public opinion, how effective is shaming? Mm. So to sort of contextualize this, Michael talked a little bit about self-shaming earlier. I want to bring in a little bit of of academia into this. Mm. Thank Um, God. So there was a a postmodernist theorist who is probably like the only postmodernist theorist that I actually like, because usually I hate postmodernist theorists. Um, yeah, a bunch of nerds. <laughs> um, named Michel Foucault. Um, he did a lot of writing about the concept of, of self-discipline and self-shame that is used in order to maintain systems of power. So to, to put it this way, you don't have to be told every single day by some type of government entity to put on clothes. Like you don't have a, there's not an intercom in your house where some government official says you have to put on clothes. Mm -hmm. The reason why you do that, yes, there are laws that say you can't go into public naked, but there's also a certain amount of social restrictions where it's just, it's something that you do out of shame. Because there is a certain level of social shame and self-shame that would come from just walking around naked, you automatically do that to yourself. Yeah. All right. I'd say like it's it's actually really interesting to think about because like how much of what we do, how much of what I should say, how much of what we refrain from doing, how many impulses that we either don't have at all or we specifically avoid, do we avoid because they're against the law? Yeah. Almost fucking none. Like, I am just never worried about getting arrested for my actions. But how many how many impulses do I avoid or just not have at all because of, like, social approbation, social nudging, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Probably many. Yeah. Like, and so the question that I would ask that, I, that you should ask yourself then is the things that you kind of do every day, even though a lot of these things are, like, do have laws... The mm-hmm. question is, would you still do them even if that law didn't exist, but the social pressure still existed? So, yeah. like, if there was not a law that said that you had 
to wear clothes in public, would you still wear clothes in public? Most of you probably would. Yeah, totally. If they're, if shoplifting were not mm-hmm. against the law, yeah. how many of you all would shoplift? Yeah. I mean, some of you, maybe more of you than, yeah. you know, than with the law there. But I mean, I go into small businesses all the time that like have no security that have like, that don't have any sensors or shit. Sure. And like, there's just, they're just trinkets and shit everywhere that I could very easily just put in my pocket and yeah, that's walk the thing. out. There are there so no many laws that you could break and never be charged or caught. Exactly. That's the thing. It just, the law is not the thing that's preventing you from doing stuff. Exactly. A lot of the time. But because there is a certain level of self shame and self discipline, mm-hmm. the power structures, I mean, some of which, you know, Michel Foucault would, very much yeah, critique, bad. but also yeah. <laughs> you know but but also but also yeah. some of which might not have a might have a pretty good reason yeah um, and some people think like you know like oh man that just means society is a prison and yeah because like they're using my own conscience and and interest my emotional interest in being socially accepted against me but it's like also like our main method for organizing people's behavior in society which is the main thing that enables people to scale society like it's the main thing that yeah. enables us to cooperate And here's the other thing. I would argue that there is a way in which shame can almost work like a virus, Hmm. like a subtle virus. Because what I would say is if you shame, if you say you hold a position, it does not have a huge amount of support. Mm -hmm. And you shame the hell out of anybody that doesn't agree with you eventually you start being isolated people spend mm-hmm. more time trying to fight against you yeah um and less and um and less time actually taking you seriously mm-hmm. right so like for so so for example if you had a disease that was extremely extremely deadly but not super contagious it wouldn't spread yeah all right but if you had an idea that was if you have a disease that's not super deadly, but very contagious, it would be more likely to spread. Mm. You know, that's why COVID was kind of the perfect storm because it was deadly, but it wasn't super, super deadly. Yep. All right. That's why it was able to spread so easily. So when it comes to ideas and shame, if you shame a person, your ability to shame that person into agreeing with you is going to be heavily dependent on how popular that specific yes. position is at the time. Yeah. So for example, before marriage equality was super popular, mm-hmm. it would not be effective to go around and tell everybody, if you don't believe in marriage equality, you're a terrible, horrible bigot and go fuck yourself. Yeah. But now that it has become increasingly more popular, it's easier for Michael and I on the pod to then say, look at all these people that voted against codifying marriage equality. They are assholes. Mm -hmm. We didn't really have to spend a lot of time justifying that because it's generally understood that marriage equality and that um, and that gay rights is important by, Mm -hmm. you know, by a majority of the country. Yeah. And in that regard, the shame works. Mm -hmm. So because something, so to to bring that back to the Senate, because veterans healthcare is super popular, shame works. Yeah. Because fighting inflation and fighting climate change is super popular, 
The shame worked on Joe Manchin. Okay, and now we will end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? A lot of good things happened this week, Michael. <laughs> uh, but I would have to say that my favorite one was the fact that I went in for my um, CT scan and my blood work mm-hmm. that I have to do every three months for the next two years, and I still don't have cancer. That's great news. So I, I, I mean, on top of veterans benefits, on top of um, of abortion in Kansas, on top of a potential climate change piece of legislation, on top of bringing chip manufacturing back to the United States, I don't have cancer to boot. So amazing. Yay. Wow. That's such good news. Wow. What about you, Michael? What's your highlight? I think my highlight is that it's actually, it's kind of doubling up. I'm cheating a little bit. Uh, it's the same highlight that I had a few weeks ago, but prior to this, it was, I couldn't share it cause it wasn't public and now it is public. And so my highlight is I just got promoted at work. Woo. Yeah. So you may now refer to me as senior analyst, senior business manager, Michael. <laughs> I will I'll try to remember that. <laughs> and with that we will thank our amazing patrons for making this show possible. So thank you to Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to the Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>